sent uh, myself and about 30 other folks here wow. to plant a church called Missio Day. All right, so 30 people come here from Portland to plant a church. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Okay, so now we don't have to talk about Michigan all the time. We can talk about Oregon, too. That's awesome. And we want to welcome you guys here into the city. We're glad you're here. Can't wait to see what God's going to do through you guys. Thank you. And um, so he's going to talk today about the difference between religion and relationship, right? Yes. Great. So I'm going to hand it over to him. I think we're going to see a video, but I'm not sure. But I'm um, glad, to, glad you're here. Glad to hear from you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's awesome for me to be here this morning uh, and just kind of share some time with you. Really, because you have no idea how you have, uh, how you have blessed us. And um, from the beginning, uh, just when this started to become a possibility about us planting a church here, I got to meet a guy who um, has kind of floppy blonde hair and he's like really exuberant, he's got a great personality and his name's Dave Nelson. And uh, he has been um, a really, I would say, a picture of, uh, of just a humble, um, powerful, uh, just awesome Christ follower in my life. As he's like said, you want to come plant a church here in Salt Lake in my city? Like, come. <laughs> Please come. Like, we want that. We need that. Uh, we are a huge city. And uh, I would love nothing more to see just God... Um, Bless the city in a million different ways. And the way that he has uh, just been a friend to me and encouraged me has been incredible. So this morning, he asked me to come and to talk about my story. He said, you're in a series called Defining Moments. And, and so I'm going to share my story in a minute. Um, but first, uh, I want you to see a little video. You've heard that we're planning a church, Missio Day. And just so you kind of know the heart of who we are and, and what we're about, uh, they're going to roll the video right now. Here we are in Salt Lake City. In whatever city you're in, you're going to find people talking about God and how to be close to God. That God wants you to do good things and stop doing bad things. Some people are saying things about God like this. And other people like this. And we're told that the stakes are kind of high, right? So we pull ourselves together, get ourselves to church, and start doing what is right. But here's the dirty little secret of religion. If you try and try and try to make yourself good, you either somewhat succeed, you expect God owes you something in return, and you look down on other people who aren't as good, all the while a little nervous that someone's going to get to know the real you. Or you get fed up with it all. You're mad at yourself for being a failure, and you're mad at this whole institution that makes people behave this way. Here's the thing. Jesus taught that you are completely incapable of being good. Not just sort of incapable, maybe if I try a little harder, but completely incapable. But God is bigger than you. Unfortunately, loving and creative. Jesus taught that God's spirit can take this stuff that's in you and replace it with this. Seriously, you, you can't do it, but God's spirit can. What does this mean? It means that if Jesus was right, you shouldn't focus on trying to be good and trying to make other people good. Stop. Seriously, stop. Because you're trying to be good is actually distracting you from what is really, truly good, which is God's forgiveness, creativity, and love. Jesus said that he's creating a new reality, and only he can do this. 
We believe that Jesus is right. So church isn't a place to get your stuff together or show God how deserving you are. A church is a group of people in one city who remind each other of what Jesus said and did. And simply let that truth change us. So that gives you a little glimpse into kind of where I'm at today, where we are as a, as a church community. And I would have to say, as I, I look at um, maybe the values that we hope to express in that video of who we hope to be as a church, uh, that's what I've seen from you guys. And again, you don't know that, but several of you have showed up when we've had folks move into town and you don't know those people and you help them move in all their stuff. And if there's one thing I hate, it's moving people. And like, you guys are like showing up, smiling. I'm like, I don't even know who you are, but I appreciate that you would come. Again, I've said Dave has just really befriended me. He's taking me golfing. Uh, he's like asking my wife and I to dinner with his wife and uh, just the whole time been so encouraging. And really what you've shown me is you've shown me that uh, what the church is and what the church is about. One of my most hated questions in the last six months has been after I'm like, what do you do here? Uh, we're planning a church. Where's your building? Always. Where's your building? And I don't disagree that buildings aren't important. We can't meet, you know, without some sort of building, whether it's a building like this or a house or whatever. But if you took this building away, man, K2 would still be here. If you took our houses that we've been meeting in a way, a Missio Dei would still be here and Salt Lake would still be experiencing who Christ is. I've only been in your building once or twice, but I've met your people all over the city. I've only been in your building once or twice, but I go and I say, hey, I'm planning a church and people will go, dude, there's this really cool church called K2 who they just really love people and love the city. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's awesome. And so for me to be here this morning with you, it's a lot of fun. It's very encouraging because this place has always been pretty near and dear to my heart, meaning Salt Lake City, meaning the state of Utah, because I was born just a few miles down the road in Provo. My parents at the time were going to um, Brigham Young University. And, uh, you know, by way of confession, we're in Salt Lake City. I think it's important that as Christ followers, we always confess and then grace is received. You need to know that I grew up with BYU season tickets. <laughs> you need to know that I saw Ty Detmer systematically destroy the Utes several times. Ooh. Whoa. Not, a, not, a, not necessarily a Cougar fan anymore. And we'll get to that in the story. Um, but... Uh, uh, born while my parents were in school in Provo, Utah, sixth generation Mormon. My first family was known to be here in 1853. So got some roots. Um, parents divorced shortly after uh, I was born when I was pretty young. And for the most part, I was born and ra I was raised by my father and my stepmother in a little town called Ely, Nevada. Uh, close to the border, uh, it's huge, thriving metropolis of about 2,000. And that's where my family's really been for, uh, for quite some time. Uh, but my mom always lived in Utah. And so she lives in Mapleton right now. And she lived in Price or near Price for a long time. So I'd spend the summers in here. 
I told you about the BYU season tickets as well as just family and everything that like constantly brought us to Utah. So the weird thing about Ely is you may be in Nevada, but all of your news comes from Utah, everything. And then when you live in a town that's for the most part, predominantly LDS, it's really just Mormon and Catholic there. It almost feels like that's where you, um, where you grow up. And so for me to come back here was a bit of a homecoming. I've only been gone a few years in Portland. Um, so I was born and raised in, uh, in, well, I was born in Provo and then raised in Ely in, uh, with, with my dad and my stepmom, and I was raised in the Mormon church. And I was raised in a pretty, uh, pretty just faithful, religious, devout LDS home. And what you need to know is I, I still love my family dearly. I respect them dearly. We have pretty solid, strong relationships, although we differ on some things. Um, but I was raised with a father that I, that I looked up to a great deal, with grandparents that I, that I admired incredibly, with a grandfather that was a bishop of the ward that I attended and a grandfather that was the first counselor in the bishopric in a different ward. Um, I did everything maybe a good firstborn Mormon boy should do. I, uh, I obeyed my parents. I became, you know, I, when I was 12 years old, I entered into the offices of the priesthood that, that, that I was asked to do. And when I was 14, I did the next one. 16, I did the next one. Uh, Mormon seminary grad. And you guys in Utah, well, the, not you guys, but the LDS students in Utah, they get this thing called a release time seminary. We had to get up and go to the seminary at 6 in the morning. And when your dad's the teacher, man, that's brutal. And so I try to like bring that up all the time because he never gave me any sympathy. So I'm looking for sympathy. Um, and when I was 18 years old, I, I was getting ready to go to college and uh, I ended up going to UNLV. And I was in state in Nevada and um, <clears throat> went down to UNLV and I was preparing to go on a mission. I was preparing to go on a mission because that's what people in my family for generations have done. And I wasn't doing it just because that's what my family was about, but because that's what I, I really believed that was the next step. I thought that's what we were going to do here. And my personality is one that's, um, that can be annoying, type A, kind of like driven. Uh, I want to get in front of you guys in your living rooms and I want to be able to convert you, right? I want to knock on your door and be able to handle all your questions, answer them all. And, uh, and then at the end of the day, like be the successful Mormon missionary. And so that's what I set out to do. And I'm just thinking through my head and, and working through uh, what this will look like and what this will be about when, um, when I start to work through questions. And I, I think it's important to note that I, I wasn't setting out to, to leave anything. I wasn't setting out to disprove anything. I was actually setting out to, to strengthen uh, the faith and the religion that I was brought up in. I was setting out to, to, to learn more and to understand more, uh, but I came across most of, the, well, most of the questions that I could come up with, I thought I, I, was, I thought I was really good at it. I mean, I was 18, and I mean, you know, you know how it is when you're 18. Like, you know what's up. And, uh, but there was a few, if I was honest, that I, I would have struggled with, you know. I would have been pretty good at them, but not excellent. And... Um, so I felt like it was time to, to talk through those. I felt like it was time to go to my father and, and start to work through those questions. And, and what happened was um, it, it didn't go well. And again, I wasn't in an antagonistic kind of a position. I was more in a position to, to just want to dialogue and work through them. And uh, I don't think he was um, 
in an antagonistic position either. Uh, he just felt like it was necessary for me to then go to the bishop to discuss these questions. And again, the bishop was my grandfather. So that was interesting. And again, these are men that I, that I love and respect dearly. And I've spent uh, my time with my grandparents. It's not like some today where, you know, grandparents live over here and uh, grandkids live over here and you see each other like on Thanksgiving. Like I saw them all the time. I still see them quite often. Uh, so we sit down and we, we have this conversation and it's in the midst of this conversation that something clicks in my head. And what clicks in my head is, I don't think that this is legitimate. I think that these questions um, that, I'm, that I'm trying to work through, uh, for the first time in my life, I thought, oh no. And I mean, trust me, I'd had all kinds of people uh, try to tell me this growing up. I mean, when you're Mormon, like there is truth to the fact that, that people make fun of you a great deal, that Christians give you pamphlets with really freaky, weird pictures on them. And then they go like, well, I don't know why you don't love the Jesus I love. Like, I gave you that pamphlet. <laughs> and, and I struggled with these questions. I struggled with leaving my, the conversations with my father, the conversations with my grandfather, and, um, and really believing for the first time that this might not be true. And so I dove into Mormon scripture, and uh, three weeks later, just pretty much knew that I had to leave, had to have my names removed, had to have my name removed from the faith. And, um, what's interesting is, uh, people now look and they go, Oh, Kyle's a pastor or, um, you know, he's been a Christian for so long now that they, they pretend like I walked out of that Mormon church and, um, just went across the street to a Christian church and it was lived happily ever after. But really, if we're talking about defining moments, what, what I'll focus on now is the, like the next five and a half years of my life. Because when I left that, I was done with religion. I was done with faith. I felt like I had, um, I had walked through something my entire life, put a lot of stock in that, seen, seen my family uh, to dedicate their whole lives to that. And then I'd found out that to be, to be false. And I felt like an idiot. I felt betrayed. I felt foolish. I felt like man had taken God. He had taken religion. He had taken whatever you want to call it and manipulated it only for his gain. What's weird is I was never really angry at my parents. I was never really angry at my grandparents because I really felt like they, were, they weren't trying to fool me. But I was angry at those words of, on the page that I read that, that showed me the, the contradictions and the questions. I was angry at, you know, maybe an institution that I felt like had um, it really messed me up. So I was never going down that road again. So for the next two years, it was all about Kyle. I was in college. It's a kind of a great time to be pretty selfish because you're already naturally pretty selfish. And, uh, and that's what it was about. I set my goals high. I wanted to, to get a good education. I wanted to get a good job. I wanted to make a lots of money. I wanted to, you know, get a great wife and buy a nice house and just like to live the American dream. Like, let's just, let's just make this about me. For two years, I went great. I, I, I didn't leave the Mormon church. I didn't leave faith and then go like, oh man, 
I don't know where I'm at. Like, I was like, no, I know where I'm at. And I know what it's about. It's about me. And then um, God messed that up. And I, I truly mean that. Author Shane Claiborne says, he goes, uh, a lot of people say when I became a Christian, um, like everything went great after that. Like it was real happy and merry. He's like, when I met Jesus, like God really messed me up. Like I had plans and his plans were different. So I meet this girl because trust me, it usually always starts with a girl. And um, my friends, my group of guy friends is friends with this group of girlfriends. And uh, I start to notice her and I'm like, man, she's cute. And um, one night we're all out at dinner at a casino because that's what you do in Las Vegas. You always go to a casino. And um, she says, I I need to go home early. I need to go home early because I got to get up for work in the morning. And I said, what a coincidence. So do I. Which I didn't. And, uh, but as I always, whenever I told my youth group this, I was going to say, see, your pastor's got game. Like, he's good to go. Um, so we go out and we go to get in her car. And she has this white, like, late 90s Chevy Cavalier. And it's got a, uh, a Jesus fish on the back. And I was like, oh, no. She's really hot, but I don't know about the Jesus fish thing. And I remember thinking, maybe it's a used car. <laughs> That's right. And so we get in the car, and we, we kind of know each other, but we don't really know each other. And we're talking back and forth. And I'm like, so that, you know, that fish on the back of your car. She's like, yeah. Um, what is that? Well, that means I'm a Christ follower. And so I grew up in a little town, you know, I just told you, it's just mostly LDS and, and some Catholics. And, and I go to Las Vegas, which isn't exactly the hotbed of evangelicalism. And so I don't really know that I've met anybody who's not really LDS or Catholic. It's not like you talk about that a whole lot in college at UNLV. And uh, she's like, well, I'm a Christ follower. I'm like, well, what is that? Because immediately I want to label her. I want to understand who she is and what she's about. Even though if she said Lutheran, Baptist, whatever, I wouldn't know what she meant or where she was talking. And she was like, well, I just, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but help me out. What does that mean? Um, well, uh, she's like struggling. I'm like, would you say you're born again? She's like, yeah, I would. I'm like, oh, cable TV. That's what I know, get born again. <laughs> Like, lots of makeup, ask me for a lot of money. Like, that's what I'm thinking this is about. Um, anyway, we, we continue the drive home, and uh, a few weeks later, we go on our first date, and we start to date. And she asks me to go to her church, which is a church in Las Vegas that is called Central Christian Church. Uh, and I walk in for the first time, and much like probably folks that have walked into K2 for the first time from only an LDS background, it's quite shocking. And I mean that in every sense of the word. Like, it is, it's, it's just different. She told me a million times, like, you don't have to dress up. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to dress up. What did I do? Dress up. That's all I know. And I'm not going to be the one guy who looks like the idiot, right? But I am the one guy who looks like the idiot. <laughs> And I go in and they're playing music and they're up on the screen, you know, they got the screens and I'm just, I've never seen anything like this before. But if I'm honest, it's not like God got a hold of me right then. 
If I'm honest, what I thought was cool, I can go to church, it's fairly entertaining, they have coffee and donuts, it's done in an hour, and I can do that for her because she's hot. (laughs) And then about the third or fourth time I was there, the pastor's preaching. And this is a church that's growing rapidly. It's two, three thousand, maybe four thousand at the time in Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, to be honest, if I'm honest, it's, it's feeding into everything that I kind of believed or uh, understood about religion, right? Like I was angry, ang- you know, just full of angst. And I thought, well, sure, I'm sure this guy's like, um, this is all about him. This is celebrity kind of thing. Maybe power, I don't know. Uh, and he starts talking about who Jesus is. He starts talking about the story of the Bible and how uh, we as humans in the beginning, like we're with God and we're in community with him and we, we push him away. And ever since then, we've been looking for fulfillment in, in either things that we've created or in um, men that we have created. Do you get what I mean when I say that? And he says, if you're here because of me, and he's pointing to himself, he's like, uh, you, you're going to be profoundly uh, disappointed if you're here because I like speak well, or if you're here because it, it's, it's enjoyable, um, and that's what you put your hope in, that's what this is about, then you're going to hate this eventually. Because I'm a human being, and at the core of my being, I'm going to screw up, and I'm going to make mistakes here, and I'm going to make mistakes there. And he goes, it's, it's, it's never about a person, because it's always about Jesus, and he unpacks this message of grace that while, while, while we were still sinning, which basically while we were still pushing God away, he loved us so much that he would pursue us in the form of sending his son. And it has nothing to do with, with the hoops that we jump through or how well we dress or how many people we say hello to. Like he just loves us that much. That's who he is. That's what he's about. And I was like, huh? This is different. This is anything I've ever heard before. Because for my whole life, I was taught to put faith in men. Whether it was my father or the, 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 the people in leadership, like I was taught to put faith in those folks. When I looked at the world, I saw that there, you were either putting faith in a person or you were worshiping a product. Like that's where your happiness came from. That's where your fulfillment came from. And then all of a sudden I see this... Um, or hear this message of grace, hear this message of, of Jesus. And I was like, hmm. And to be honest with you, what that did is it started something in me that would then take two and a half years to maybe come to culmination. So all that really did is started me thinking and it got me back into the Bible and it got me back into the gospels. That's all I would read because I wanted just Jesus. I remember I was 21 or something now. And so I'd read this gospels and I would, and I would pour into them and I, and I would hear these, these messages of grace from like Ephesians chapter two that you hear about. That God pours this grace upon us even though we don't really deserve it. It's just about who he is. And if I'll be honest, I, I went back and forth, back and forth through times of like, maybe like thinking, oh, you know what? Maybe this thing is legitimate. <laughs> maybe there is something to this. 
the times of like just complete rejection, complete denial. Because all of a sudden I started to get flashbacks of, no, I, I've, I've went down this road once before. I'm not going down this road again. And it was clouded in like this relationship with my girlfriend. And so let's just get it out. Like she's my wife. She's in front over here right now. Like that's the cute hot girl that I'm talking about. Um, but I'm, I'm in this relationship with her and I didn't want to convert for her. And so I would, I would literally break up with her and, uh, and go to classes without her knowing and I would try to figure out this, this, what this message is about. Who this Jesus really is. And eventually, uh, I'm driving down the road. I left my office where I was working. I graduated. This is literally, this is two and a half years after I had first visited Central. And, and it... It was like there had been this light bulb that was trying to come on for two and a half years, and all of a sudden it just went on. And it was like God just spoke to me pretty profoundly and pretty directly, and he's like, Kyle, I want nothing to do with religion. I want nothing to do with you performing for me, with you thinking that it's about how many hoops you jump through, how many backflips you do. Like, like, oh, look at Kyle. Like, uh, I made him. Yeah, he's good has nothing to do with any of that. But it has everything to do with the fact that I want a relationship with you. That in this relationship, we'll be called, like, we'll, you will grow, okay? And you will come to understand who I am. And sure, uh, you may look different and you may live differently and priorities will look completely different than they did before. But I'm not asking you to, um, to perform for me. I'm asking you to enter into a relationship with me. And I remember when I heard that, I like pulled over my car and that, you know, I, I, you don't know me, but you have to know, like, I'm not that kind of person who just becomes overwhelmed that much. And I just pulled over my car and I'm sitting on the side of the road and I'm just like, I guess, I think maybe I'm a Christian now. <laughs> and I didn't really know because, you know, some, I just, anyway, uh, but I started down that road. I remember telling Joy, my wife, I remember telling some other folks, uh, and then those folks said, um, well, you got to get baptized. Well, I'd been baptized over a hundred times in my life at that point. <laughs> so for me, baptism works. Those were cheap. Those were about me performing before God. So I wasn't having any of that. I would actually scour the TV guide on Sunday to see anything that I was remotely interested in so I wouldn't have to go to church because I didn't have to go to church because this was grace. <laughs> now, what I'm saying right now, I'm not advocating a healthy understanding of grace. I'm advocating a pretty young, new understanding of grace. Uh, I heard a pastor say it like this the other day. He goes, um, God, he goes, you ever, you know, you parents or anybody who's seen a child start to walk. He's like, when that child starts to walk, like their head is so massive, right? Um, they get up and they're just like kind of wandering around and you're just waiting for things to crash. And that's what I looked like, like just stumbling and bumbling and uh, I would fall over lots. Um, but here's the beauty of it. Like when you see that child fall, what do you say? Dude, my kid just walked three steps. You don't say, oh, what an idiot. He just fell down again. How old are you? You've been here a year now. Like nobody says that. 
Nobody says that. And so uh, for some reason, God graced me with folks who, who understood that and who would speak that into me and be like, well, Kyle, let's, let's rethink what this baptism thing is about. What if that's not about you performing before God? What if that's about a gift from God to you? What if that's about him inviting you into his community? About him letting you identify and enter into the death, burial, and resurrection of his son? What if it's about that? I started to see things differently. I started to understand um, that this faith really was a relationship. And I kind of talked to you about Ephesians chapter 2, but I want to even talk to you more about uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. I started to see this passage and uh, it started to just bring alive who this God was that wanted to be in relationship with me. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And see, folks, religion has this understanding that, um, that love is dependent upon who we are and how we perform. And so I would push you into thinking about your relationships with your, with your children, with your friends, with your family, with really anybody and go, is that true? And if that is true in that relationship, I would venture to say that's an unhealthy relationship. Now that doesn't mean that as parents, you don't want your children to look, to, you know, to do certain things and to behave certain ways. And that doesn't mean in friendships that there aren't certain boundaries, but what it does mean, if, if, if you're in that relationship, just to see how well they serve you, just to see how well they, they, they just jump through hoops for you and make you happy, if there's no give and take, I would venture to say that's a pretty unhealthy relationship. And so God started to show me again that, that he loved me first. In Romans, I said it earlier, like while we were rejecting him, walking away from him, he loved us so much that he would die for us. That he's a God who cares so much about relationship that he would come to this earth, that he would live and walk among us. Eugene Peterson says in the message, God moved into the neighborhood. And didn't he? Didn't he? And so I started to wrestle and to understand what that meant. And I told you that while I was in college, I had just this, this focus and this, just this path about just being about who Kyle was. And um, as much as I'd become a Christian, I'd kind of compartmentalized that to Sunday and really felt like it had no, um, had no voice into how I lived the other six days of the week. That wasn't mean I was crazy at the MGM every night, but it did mean that I was pretty selfish so I was sitting in my office one night, and my, my wife and I had just moved into a new house, a big house. Like, what's crazy is God had given me all of those goals that I had, make a lot of money, get a nice house. Um, and I was like, I, I don't understand this. Like, these two worlds, I don't see them connecting. I need to connect them. And so I go home, and um, 
I'd get ready to tell my wife that I think I'm supposed to quit my job and go to seminary. So the beauty of that was I felt like I had a pretty good plan because my wife is very analytical and she likes to do things that make sense. So it's like we just moved into a house. It's our second house. The mortgage is not exactly cheap. Uh, You have the job and you're going to go, huh? And, um, And I tell her this. And she goes, I've been waiting for you to say that. And I went, dang it. (laughs) This lady is so unpredictable. Which I'm sure most of the guys in the room can relate with. And, um, and she starts to tell me about how she's felt like God literally telling her that and, and working through that her, with her in prayer and in scripture for some time. But she knows my personality and she knows this would have to be born of me. And so we do that. And I'm not saying that, um, that you combine these worlds by going to seminary. For everybody, it's, it's, it's different. Uh, that's not what I mean at all. It's not like the super holy guys or the pastors. In fact, I think that that's just a flat out lie. Um, but I did believe that God was calling me to go do that, just like I believe he's calling all of you to something. And so we followed down that road, and, um, and we just jumped in. So I quit my job and um, started a company, and then right after I started the company, because uh, I thought if I started the company, then I'd be able to like, start, set my own hours, go to seminary, had it all planned out. Like God comes to me with a position at Central, Central Christian Church. He's like, hey, uh, this guy that I knew there wants you to come on for six months and um, just see if this pastoring thing, we just feel like that's who you are. And that was really strange for me. So we did that. And, um, and God, again, throughout the whole time, starts to show me what this relationship looks like. He starts to show me how he provides. He starts to show me how he's there to love us. He's there to show us where our true identity is. It's not in a house. It's not in a job. It's not in a certain status level. It's actually in him. Because as much as we as Americans have been told and have been taught that it is about something else, that it is about, um, you know, uh, what our house looks like or what clothes we wear, it's, it's, it's just flat out not. It's about the fact that he loves us, that he's created us, that he's forgiven us, that he's called us into this relationship. So if I fast forward a few years after that, I I was ready to, I felt like God was putting it in me to plant a church. I didn't know why, I didn't know where, and I didn't know what. And I felt like before that, he was calling me out of the familiar. We'd been in Las Vegas. I'd been there 12 years at that point. My wife was born and raised there. We felt like it was Portland, Oregon. What's more different than Vegas? Complete desert. I mean, like a shrub on the corner. Portland, boom, trees, rain, like everything. Um, so we make the move. And we make the move. And uh, if you were to write a, tech, a story, we would then say that things again went happily ever after. But they didn't. One of the reasons we made the move was my wife was going to go to school there, and she started school, and this was graduate school, and she, she hated it. And I just moved my family to this new place, and I see her come home, and I see her crying, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to do, you know? And then our dog that we'd had since we'd been engaged, like, he just gets this massive, uh, rapidly, just uh, rapid cancer just, just forming, and eventually he just dies before our eyes. 
And then a few weeks after that, her father takes his life. And you can, at that moment, if it's about religion, right? If it's about me going, God, you called me to Portland. Why would you reward me this way? If that's what it's about, it all falls apart. But if I'm honest, I would say that those six, first six months in Portland, um, God called us into a deeper relationship with him than I've ever experienced. Because removed from the familiar, removed from relationships that you've had for literally, you know, for me, 12 years, for my wife, her whole life, like you have to depend on God. And boy, did he, did he meet us there. He met us there first with our community, Imago Day, which was the church we were a part of. They didn't know us and they loved us in a way I can't even tell you. They loved us and cared for us and just nurtured us at the time of her father's death like I've never experienced in my life. And they weren't doing it because we deserved anything. They were doing it because they loved Jesus, because they were responding to this grace, to this relationship. So a few years later, when it came time to leave... (laughs) go to Salt Lake, I was pretty, I was confused about that because I loved that community. But what I wanted to do as well is I wanted to go to Salt Lake City. I wanted to be a part of what was happening here. I had heard about K2. I'd heard about other churches. And I thought, how cool would that to be to join into that, to show this city love and relationship like they've never heard or seen before because they've never seen this love of Jesus. And they've never heard this message of grace that I first heard way back when. Like, what about going and participating in that? Being the church of Salt Lake. That was exciting. It was exciting because it was born out of this relationship with God where he showed me that he's not asking me to perform. He's not asking me to do backflips. He's not asking me to like make him stab him up there and clap with, with how I, you know, um, you know, put on a show for him. He just loves me because that's who he is. He loves me because that's what he's about and what he's always been about. I'm going to ask the the band to come up. And what I I urge you to do right now is to to think about that passage that I read in 1 John. Where you realize that God loves us because that's who he is. Because God loves us and it says that, you know, perfect love casts out fear. And what is religion about? It's about fear. It's about shaming you. It's about scaring you into acting and living a certain way. Because if not, God will hate you. And as I read this Bible, as I see the narrative of Scripture just work itself out, that's the exact opposite of the God that I see. The God I see in Revelation comes off his throne and wipes tears from our eyes and loves us. The God of the New Testament is Jesus who comes down and moves into the neighborhood and lives among us who serves us, who leaves his place in heaven to come and just be here as a sacrifice for us. And so I don't pretend that I I preach this message as much to me as I do to you. Because I don't pretend that I've got it licked. For some reason, in in our just left to our human state, we always believe that it's about religion at some level. And we have a hard time understanding this God and this relationship.
So as I pray, just reflect on that. Reflect on areas in your life where maybe you put your hope in something other than this God of Scripture. Where you put your hope in something other than this unconditional grace that he's just showered and blessed us with. You pray with me? Father, you are good and you are great. I can't tell you how thankful I am for these folks here at K2. I can't tell you how, um, how much it encouraged me before I moved here and now to live here just to, uh, to be in relationship with them, to hear stories of them. Fathers, your church, we don't pretend to be perfect. We don't have anything um, licked or mastered. But what we do have is you as our God. What we do have is, is Jesus as our Savior. So, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come today, that would move in all of our hearts, that we would be convicted in areas where, um, where we have not let the truth that you seek to be in relationship with us, we have not let that truth seep in. Will you convict us in areas where we feel like we have to perform or put on a show so that you'll love us? Will you give us a heart for scripture so that we can just read about your story? Read about the grace that you showered on us. And Father, will you give us a heart and will you give us a mind and will you give us a passion to then go tell that story to the city and the community that we find ourselves in? Father, it's only through you that we can um, accomplish that. It's only through your power and your strength and your might and your grace and your forgiveness. So may you move powerfully and may we um, submit to your work. In Jesus' name, amen.